Welcome to Community Christian Church Anywhere. We are an online community of people who believe that even though life can be difficult and complicated and tiring, Jesus offers us a life that's easy, light, and full of rest. And the life Jesus offers isn't simply a membership to a religion or a personal philosophy on life, but He offers us the opportunity to be transformed into people who live just as He lived in this world. Lives defined by love. And so we want to be a community of people who are committed to loving everyone just as Jesus loved us. So no matter who you are or what you believe about God, what you've done in your life or even where you live, you can be a part of this Jesus movement to love everyone always. In fact, just by joining in with us right now, you've taken a great first step in that direction. And what we hope is that through our time together today, you experience that God loves you and He cares about your life. In fact, we say all the time, no matter what you think about God, we believe He can't stop thinking about you. We believe that He's for you and that He has only good things in mind for your life. So no matter where you're watching this from, on your phone or on your lunch break, hopefully not while you're driving, we believe that God is present with you right now. And if you stay open to that reality, I believe He wants to make Himself real to you. And if at any point during this online experience, you have questions or you wanna get more involved with our community here, maybe you feel God speaking to you and you wanna to talk to somebody about that. There will be a number on the screen the whole time. You can text that number at any point and our speaker for today or someone from our team will respond to you just as soon as we can. Because even though right now, this is just a video you're watching, we hope that your interaction with us moves from just being content that you consume to a community that you're committed to. And one quick and easy first step you can take to get more involved with our community here is to join our Facebook group. You simply go to our Facebook page at Church for the Rest of Us and click on the tab in the corner that says Groups. You'll see one there for in-person campus, but then you'll also see one that's Community Christian Anywhere Groups. That's the one for you. Simply click on that group and then click the Join button to take one easy step towards being involved with our community here at Community Christian Anywhere. I hope to see you there. For right now, we are gonna hear from our senior pastor, Ed Martin, as he talks to us about the important cultural moment that we are all living in right now as a country and as human beings. So let's all lean in together as we learn what Jesus might have to say to us and how we should live in this current moment. Today, I wanna to continue the conversation we started last week called Christians in the Age of Outrage. I'll start with this. I believe we are in the midst of a national addiction problem, and the addiction is an addiction to outrage, where everybody's ticked off about something and we all feel the need to tell each other about it. And the consequences of this are, we just don't move forward on problems. Now let me say, as we start this today, I'd love to hear your thoughts during this message. So there's a number on the screen that will work no matter when you see this or wherever you are, and if you address the text to me, I'll respond. So in case we haven't met, I'm Ed Martin, and I'm the pastor at Community Christian Church. Now, the phrase addicted to outrage is not one I coined. I started seeing it written almost five years ago. And you may not know this about me, but I'm a person in long-term recovery. Addiction's a part of my story. And I'm so thankful for God's truth revealed in 12 Steps. And as this addiction outrage in our culture has come more into view, I started thinking about how could I help us enter into recovery? 
Now, even if you aren't ready to admit that you need it, I bet you know somebody that seems to feed into this outrage culture and you'd love to see them get into recovery. So just for fun, before we get deeper into our election cycle, uh, imagine with me how great it would be if we could just get our politicians to admit their need. What if we could get all 636 members of Congress, the Senate, the House, all the executive branch, including the president, vice president, all the cabinet members together in a big circle holding hands somewhere, and they'd all say something like, hi, my name is, and I'm a powerholic. My desire to manipulate the emotions of this country with lies has become unmanageable, or whatever they'd say. Wouldn't it be great if we could just get them to embrace the first of the 12 steps? If we get to take them to step one, it, it'd be a start. And what about step two? Imagine if all the leaders in my country came together around this idea. We've come to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Wow. Wouldn't that be something if all the leaders dropped to their knees and threw their hands in the air and said, this is way too big a problem for us to solve. We can't fix this. We need a power higher than ourselves. And just they declare their dependence on God. How cool would that be? Now, as cool as that would be, if you were with us last week, you know that as fun as it is to point the finger at them and say, yeah, they need to do that. What we talked about was Jesus would say to us, his followers, they are not the place to start. Instead, we dealt with the question he asked, which is, why are you so focused on the speck of dust in their eye and you ignore the plank in your own eye? To which we say, well, because it's way more fun to get amped up about the speck of dust in their eye. And it's really hard to deal with the plank in our own eyes. So last week we said, it has to start with we. Not they. We, the church, have been called by our leader Jesus to go first. Recovery begins with me. And if you aren't a follower of Jesus or you're not a church person, let me just say, we're really honored you joined in with us and I believe you can benefit from this as well, but I'm not saying our nation is a Christian nation or that it even should be, or that we want you to live by what we believe. You aren't bound by any of this stuff. You can just listen and choose. But if you're a follower of Jesus like me, I want to be as clear as I can. We don't start this by pointing fingers ever. We are supposed to go first. And I believe even if we aren't the majority in our country, there are enough of, of us that if we would do this, it would change things for the better. If we can just get it in our minds that the change I want to see, it begins with me, not with you. It starts with us, not with them. That's where we start. And because this is the root of the, our problem, I, I don't want to leave it too soon. And next week, we're going to do something different. But as a person who's had to recover from addiction personally, I'll tell you what I want us to look at today. See, once you've admitted you have a problem and then you turn your life over to the power one higher you, than you, which all of us as followers of Jesus say we've done. I mean, Jesus leads our life, not us. Then the next step we need to take, it, it reads like this in the big book of recovery. We made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Now, many of us have made searching and fierce moral inventories of those we oppose. I mean, we do moral inventories of them as a hobby. 
those that were outraged at, but this says, we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Anyone who's ever recovered from an addiction, not just stopped drinking or stopped using or stopped looking at porn or using people for sex, anyone who's ever recovered from anything is a person who was willing to look in the mirror and face what they saw in the mirror. They quit. They quit making excuses. They quit rationalizing. They quit blaming. They quit pointing fingers. They quit talking about their mamas and if only their daddies and if only the government would and if only the blacks would and if only the whites would. They looked in the mirror and they made a fearless moral inventory of themselves. They owned the issue. You will never completely recover until you are completely honest with you. You can partially recover, but you'll never completely recover from anything that enslaves you until you are first absolutely, completely honest with yourself. So the bottom line for what I want to say to us today is this. The way we break our addiction to outrage is with a fearless moral inventory. And you know, in some ways, I shouldn't even have to say that. I mean, every parent knows this is what you want from your kids as they grow old. You just take responsibility for your life. You take responsibility for your decisions. If you're married, you surely want this from your spouse. You'd really love it if your boss would do it or your mom or your mother-in-law. I mean, you look around at other people and we go, I just, I just wish they'd quit blaming their problems on everybody else. Quit, quit making excuses. But even as we see it in others, it is very, very difficult. I mean, we have a hard time taking responsibility for our faults. We take partial responsibility, but we're so good at talking about the dysfunction in our past and how I was raised and what happened in my first marriage. And we use the knowledge of all those things to excuse our behavior. And we only take partial responsibility because it takes courage to take a full blown moral inventory in our lives. That's why this statement starts with, it has to be fearless. We, we take a fearless. So since we won't do that, we embrace part, but not all of our part in it. And so we just limp along and we never fully recover. We say things like, well, if it wasn't for, then I wouldn't have. I mean, I did do some things I shouldn't have done, but if it weren't for, so it's, it's really not on me. But anyone who's ever gotten better knows. I mean, if you've ever rebuilt a marriage or you ever restored a relationship or you overcame an addiction, here's what anybody that's done that knows. You never get better by blaming. You never move forward by pointing your finger outward. You never recover explaining it away. You only recover when you do a fearless moral inventory and you own it. You own it it and here's why because when you take partial responsibility with one finger pointing in a different direction things get stuck in your heart and what happens is you create a story as to why things are the way they are and why i am the way i am and it involves most of the fault being at where i'm pointing but change begins in the mirror when we open ourselves up to the truth about us now where have you seen that in you? Can you see it in you? If so, would you be willing to share it with me? You, you can just text me or 
Maybe you think I'm off track. You could text me that too. But for now, if you're open, maybe right now, you could ask God to help you see you. As we pray, you're invited to read the words aloud on the screen that are marked in bold. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we invite you into this moment. Investigate our entire life, heart, soul, mind, and body. In your love, reveal anything, hidden or seen, that holds us back from fully living for you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And now, in the silence, listen as your Heavenly Father speaks. He may reveal or highlight some motivation, known or unknown, some fear, hurt, or sin that has kept you from fully living for Him. So let's allow our Father to speak to us. Let's continue to pray. Great God of love, continue to expose our lack of love. Bring to our minds any thought, word, or action in which we have failed to love others as you have loved us. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Once again, ask your Heavenly Father to speak lovingly to you. Events or moments of failure may come to mind and you may feel guilt or embarrassment, but do not shy away. Your Heavenly Father wants to expose patterns of sin in you so that you may grow in His love. So let's allow Him to speak to us now. Let's continue one final time. Most holy and merciful Father, we confess to you and to one another that we have sinned by our own fault, in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Lord, have mercy. We have not loved you with our whole heart, mind, and strength. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, have mercy. We confess to you, Lord, all our past unfaithfulness and our exploitations of other people. Lord, have mercy. Restore us, good Lord. Favorably hear us, for your mercy is great. Accomplish in us the work of your salvation, that we may show forth your glory in the world. By the cross of your Son, our Lord, bring us to the joy of his resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now you may not know this if you're new, but here's what Christians believe. Christians believe that God made the world perfect and then sin entered the world and sin broke everything. But we really have a hard time admitting how things are really broken, how much they're broken in our world, in us. Now, 
That's not to say Christians don't believe that there's good in the world. There is good. We believe that the good we see in other people, even those who may not see God the way we do, the good we see in them and in this world is a thumbprint of our good Father in those people and in the world he started. But it's hard for any of us, no matter how good, much good we see, to not see that the world's messed up. The harder part of it is to say, I'm messed up, you're messed up, we're broken. And a part of our brokenness and a part of the human condition that is broken, it makes it very difficult for us to own and embrace our responsibilities for the problems in our world and not to want to blame it somewhere else. Now I want to show you something from the Bible to illustrate this. It comes from a narrative, so I need to tell you a story quickly. So it's 600 BC and there's a man who was a prophet. And all that means is that God had given him a message to give to the people of God. His name's Jeremiah. Now there's a book in the Bible with his name on it. And if you read it, it's mostly confusing and depressing. And the reason is because he's prophesying about some very specific events and none of those events are in his book. And if you don't know where to find the events he's talking about, well, it doesn't make much sense, but they are included in other parts of the Bible. So here's what's happening before I read this verse. The nation of Israel, which at the time were God's chosen people, they're under God's judgment because they keep turning their back on God. So they're in really bad times. When this happened, everything in their country's falling apart. And then they turn back to God and things will get better. And then they just repeat that cycle over and over. Well, at this time, Nebuchadnezzar, the famous emperor of Babylon, really the whole known world, he's put a man in charge of their country named Jehoiakim to be king over the people of Israel. And he said to Jehoiakim, hey, you can be king, but you pay taxes to me. You do everything I say, and you don't ever raise an army. Well, over time, uh, Jeho Jehoiakim begins to think, I'm really the king, and I don't have to put up with this. So he starts to raise an army, he's going to attack Nebuchadnezzar, which be sort of like Guam deciding to attack the rest of the U.S. It is not going to go well. So Jeremiah goes to see Jehoiakim and he says, Ho King, are you crazy? We're under God's judgment. You can't win this war. You're going against God, not to mention you're going against common sense. Jehoiakim says, hey, get him out of here. So he goes on and starts the war, and Nebuchadnezzar marches right into Jerusalem, takes Jehoiakim off the throne, puts a guy named Zedekiah on the throne, and it all takes about a minute. So Jeremiah goes to Zedekiah, the new guy, and he says, hey, hey, just stay cool. We're under God's judgment. Your responsibility is to bring the nation back to repentance, bring them back to God. And if you do that, hey, God's going to honor that. But as time goes along, Zedekiah begins to think, I'm the king. I don't have to put up with this stuff. And so he starts raising an army to declare war on Nebuchadnezzar. And Jeremiah like, oh God, people be crazy. Why are you doing this kind of thing? God's what's up with these people? So in the middle of that, he makes a statement. And I think the statement helps us understand the dynamic of our own lives and our own hearts and some of what we experience around us every single day. And I'll just say it's not good news, okay? But it is true news. And if you could internalize this and you could understand it and use it as a filter for the rest of your life, it will help you with you. And here it is. You 
are your biggest problem. And if we would embrace that together, if we the church could embrace that, we could make incredible progress and begin recovery from the outrage addiction in our culture, and we could actually begin to solve some problems. Here's what Jeremiah said, and many of you have heard this before because we've read it together. Some of you might be surprised if you've never seen this. Here's what he says. The heart is deceitful above all things, and it's beyond cure. Who can understand it? He uses the word deceitful, not dishonest, and I think there's a big difference. I mean, you've had people lie to you, and I have too, and we figured out that they were lying. I mean, most of us can identify a bold-faced lie. Deceit, it's just different because deceit is generally a little bit of truth and a little bit of a lie. And it's really difficult sometimes to sort out which part of this is true and which part's not true. Now, now don't miss this. In this verse, who is it that's telling you half-truths and half-lies? It's your heart. It's my heart. See, when sin came into the world, it broke our hearts. And Jeremiah, speaking on behalf of God, says, your heart and my heart, it's the most deceitful thing on the planet. And you know at times, I mean, I'm sure in your past, you deserved other, you deceived other people, but, but Jeremiah says, if, if we're gonna make any progress, we're gonna have to own the fact that the person you might be deceiving the most is you. We deceive ourselves. We lie to ourselves. And then we believe the lie we told ourselves, which is why you start telling yourself a story to excuse your behavior. And after a while, you just go into story mode. I mean, you learned to believe the story that you made up. And over time, it feels like reality to you. And so you're never able to make any progress until you come to terms with this fact. I have been lying to me. Now he says, it's beyond cure, which means you can't ever completely fix this. I mean, a part of your brokenness, just like your body's slowly decaying over time, your heart is permanently broken. It's like a virus that can't be cured, but you can learn to manage through it and you can pay attention to the symptoms of your deceitful heart. And a part of that, when I know I'm caught in it, that just seems natural to me, is when, my, when I start pointing the finger at you and I won't look in the mirror at me. My heart will do all it can to keep me from doing a fearless moral inventory. Instead, it will help me create a story, a partial responsibility, and a lot of blame on you so I can bypass the truth about me. Now, you may not know this, but Christians around the world weekly participate in an act of worship that's supposed to lead us to do this. Jesus asks us every week when we come together to remember his life made a way for us to be reconciled to God in spite of our personal brokenness. And a part of part of, an important part of doing that is for followers of Christ to take emblems he set aside, juice and bread, to remember his body and blood. But, and this is a part that is often overlooked, before we take it, we're asked to examine ourselves. We're asked to open ourselves up and look at how we're doing at following Jesus. Specifically, one follower of Jesus named Paul took, told a group of really divided followers of Jesus to look at the body of Christ and to remember the body of Christ. Now, when you read that in the context of his writing, he's not asking them to think about the literal body of Jesus on the cross. 
He's asking them to look at the church, which he called the body of Christ, to see how we are doing treating and honoring each other. It's sad for me to have to say this, but Christ followers know this true. Right now, our addiction to outrage has caused many of us to put our faith second to our politics. We don't think it's true, but we're willing to go to war with other parts of the body of Christ, not on the basis of our faith in Jesus, but over another issue that we put first. So black believers and white believers and Hispanic believers, we don't see the body of Christ. Those who vote Democrat, those who vote Republican, they put that in front of seeing the body of Christ. So today, I want those of you who follow him to pause with me before we partake and think about the body of Christ. In our world, there are more followers of Jesus outside the U.S. than there are inside the U.S. And our bond with them is far greater than our bond with fellow Americans. Can you see the body of Christ? In the body of Christ, they're male and female members, both of whom fully have the Spirit of God, and we're co-equal heirs of his inheritance. We share a bond with them that goes way beyond any gender differences. Can you see the body of Christ? In the body of Christ, there are people who are my ethnic background, and there are people of every other tribe and tongue, and our bond with them is greater than any ethnic bond I share. Can you see the body of Christ? And in seeing it, can you see that at times we have allowed lesser things like patriotism and gender and ethnicity to cause us to treat the body of Christ in an unworthy manner? Today, as you prepare to remember the gift of Jesus' life, given to break down every dividing wall and to create in him a new people, a new humanity in his kingdom. Would you confess your part in not rightly seeing the body of Christ and then partake of the elements that remind us through his body and blood, we're forgiven. Let's take these moments to reflect, to confess, and then to give thanks for the gift of God to us, Jesus. Why you have 
have done your life of love you perfectly lived me praise you who tempted and tried you fixed your eyes you finished the work Now, if you were just average church people at this point, uh, I'd say, so friends, as I conclude this today, I just want you to think about that verse and I want you to go home and spend some time and do a fearless moral inventory. Let's close in prayer. But I know that the people who join in on Community Online, you are way above average. So I know you're saying, Ed, would you please help us start our fearless moral inventory? Is there any way you could kickstart this thing and help us see where our hearts may be deceiving us? Well, I have to tell you that when I was preparing this message, I just said to God, God, I want to do something else. <laughs> I did that last week and it didn't make me any friends. But the truth is, as a person in long-term recovery, I know that this is something we have to be taught to do. We have to be helped to do this. In order to counterbalance and counteract the deceitfulness of our heart, we have to have somebody show us. So I want to kind of kickstart it for you, and it's going to be really uncomfortable. Some of you, if you're not a Christian, I just want to say this one more time. All of this is optional for you. I don't condemn you for doing any of the things I'm talking about. I have no reason to be the one telling you how to run your life. But for those of you who are followers of Jesus, there really is no reason for us to run from this because God has given us forgiveness ahead of time. While we were still sinners, he made a way for us to be forgiven. So those, 
really no reason for us to shrink back. We have a loving God, the Holy Spirit, who will help us do a fearless moral inventory of our lives and expose it to the light of God's truth because that's how we recover. So let's see if I can't help us start. Some of you are prejudiced against another race. You just don't like black people. You just don't like white people. You don't like Hispanic people. And you have never faced that truth in your life. And it comes up in your outrage before you know it. Anytime a person of that race does something, inside of you there's something that goes off where you think, well, of course. And as a follower of Jesus, the one who asks us to love everyone always, you know it's not right but you just can't get past what your mama said or what your daddy told you or some experience you've had. And you own the fault partially, but you also have a story that causes you to want to point the finger at them. I mean, you dare not say certain things out loud in certain places, but as soon as you start talking about it, you, you needing to look at you and own your own responsibility for your reaction that you know isn't right, there's something in you that wants to tell that story. The question is, how long are you going to live like that and know that you're living opposed to your leader, Jesus? When are you going to expose that to the light of God's truth and say, God, I am not making any more excuses. No more story about the black person who did this thing or the white person who do that thing. When will you look at you? Some of you, some of you don't like poor people, no matter what their race. You never felt any compassion for a poor person. You never felt any compassion toward the people that God feels so much compassion for because you were taught, well, poor people are lazy and poor people drink too much and they use too much and poor people this and poor people that. I don't know what story you tell, but you tell a story. You held on to childhood stories. You held on to things that you've seen, but they aren't completely true. And when you feel motivated to change or somebody challenges you to give or to do something to help somebody who's poor, you start rehearsing these stupid tapes you have in your head and you decide, I'm not gonna be generous. It's stuck in your heart and you're compensating for it and you're limping. You need to do a fearless moral inventory. Some of you really, really don't like anybody in the LGBTQIX community or anybody who supports women's rights, or anybody who's a Democrat, or anybody who's a Republican, or a MAGA person, or a socialist. And you actually use Christianity to support the fact of why you don't like a whole group of people. But Jesus said, whoever will come to me, I will in no way cast them out. So if Jesus is open for everybody, then for those of us who follow him, we don't have any margin for discounting a group of people that God is for and whom he loves. Now I know, I know some of you are thinking, boy, I hope he qualifies that God loves them, but he does not like what they do. Well, you and I agree on some of those things and we disagree on other things, but surely if you've ever read Jesus, you can't disagree with the fact that anybody who wants to come to him, he was for them. And my job is to love him and to love them. And to start my inventory of who is wrong in the world, not with them, it starts with me. And part of the reason you want to hear me say what you want to say about them, and you want me to hear your story of what they're doing wrong, is the fact that there's something in your heart lodged against them. And it's deceiving you. 
and you never done enough inventory to realize it. You say, you know what? You can't say, I'm a racist. You know what? I'm opposed to people who disagree with me morally or behave or who vote differently me. You know what the biggest complaint in our country is against people who are Christian? You know what people who aren't Christian complain about, about us? They say we're too political. You say, well, it's our right. See, rights are a political thing. And when you put a political thing in front of love, you got your faith in the wrong place. And you are part of the problem. Now let me poke around somewhere else for a minute. Some of you, there are events in your past that you feel really bad about all the time, but you never fully embraced your problem and your responsibility for them. I see this all the time with women who've had abortions. They were young and mama paid for the abortion and daddy seconded the abortion and drove you to the clinic and the person at the clinic said, hey, it's okay, you're really not ready to have a baby, honey. Everybody gave you a story to tell. But you carry angst about it, and every time you read something about it that Jesus said, or you hear a message and it starts to come up in you, and you just start to repeat that story, and you start to get political, and you point fingers, and you talk about your rights, and you push it back down, but it later comes back up. Did you know that our God can handle all the guilt and all the shame that you feel if you'll bring it to him? But you have to bring it to him. Did you know that it doesn't matter if what you did was legal or not? If you're carrying some crap around with you about it, then please don't spend the rest of your life shoving it down and telling yourself and repeating what your mama did, who I'm, I'm sure she did the best she knew how to do. None of that matters if you're still agonizing over it. Face it, own it, and then experiencing the recovering, grace-filled love of your Heavenly Father. Some of you, you fathered a child and you legally dodged all your responsibility for that child. But every time you hear the name of your son or your daughter, every time you run into circumstances that remind you of them, it comes up and immediately you start telling yourself a story of how it's not really your responsibility. And God who loves you says, whoa, you're just gonna limp through the rest of your life? Bring that to me. Some of you split up a home you cheated on a spouse, and you'll never recover taking partial responsibility. And why would you do that? You see, it's terrifying, isn't it? I mean, it's terrifying to think about facing those things. That's why this statement is so powerful. It's a fearless, a fearless, fearless moral inventory. Some of you need to go home and you need to fill in and complete this sentence. The real reason. The real reason I'm unemployed. The real reason. I mean, you blamed the economy, you blamed your boss, but you don't own your part. The real reason I don't pay all my taxes is. And you got a political reason, and you got a political rationale, and you got all this stuff going on on why you don't pay taxes, and you never really faced it. The real reason I buy stuff I can't afford. The real reason we live together and don't get married. The real reason I start every day with a drink, the real reason I hide pills in my closet, the real reason I hired her, the real reason I'm not more generous, a fearless. I don't care how it makes me feel. I don't care if it leaves me in a puddle in the bathroom floor crying my eyes out. I am not carrying this crap around anymore. I want full on grace and forgiveness from God and I've never received it because I never fully asked for it. 
right now, I'm going to give you a moment to think about the real reason and to bring that to God. And maybe help to help you word the prayer you say to God, we're going to hear a song. And if you want, you can sing along and you can make it your prayer how much you know you need God in this area of your life. If while we sing, you want to, you can text me at the number on the screen. I'll pray with you.
we need you. How much we need you. Wouldn't it be great if this year during our election, just one national leader in either party would step forward and say what most of us believe is true? For the past so many years, I've been privileged to be a member of the federal government and I say I serve people, but the truth is, I don't like any of you people I serve. I've used you to gain personal wealth and power. And the people of this country deserve way better than that. And that's why I'm stepping down. Can you imagine the moral lift we would experience as a nation if everybody who needed to do that would do it? I mean, if our nation's leaders did a fearless moral inventory and then they took appropriate response, you're thinking, yeah, we'd have to start all over. But before you're tempted to look at them, remember, the road out of our addiction to outrage, it begins with me, not with them. It begins with me and you. It begins with we, the church, not a them or a they. And it makes sense it starts with Christians because we're the only ones that know that forgiveness is, is waiting on the other side of that kind of personal transparency. When the church leads the way, we have huge impact. Want to see us do that, and we can. I invite you to join us in groups where we're talking about this, and you can text me and get in a group. Daily, we're praying for the courage to be honest about this. But for now, let me pray for you. Father, I pray right now for the people who joined in with us, wherever we are. You give us the courage to look at ourselves and to end our storytelling to ourselves, to end the lying to ourselves, and to face the truth about ourselves. Knowing that when we do it, you're standing right there waiting to receive all the junk that we hand to you and offer forgiveness. So I pray right now there are people that have the courage to do this and they're doing it. Would you help them sense that you're right there with them? Help us, the church, to get this right. In Jesus' name I pray. Now, if you want to get in a group like I just said, or you want prayer, or you want to just tell me where I've been off this whole time, you can text the number on the screen. And then we're going to be right back here next week to make our next step out of addiction. I hope you'll be here.